good manna tonight. Amen. Huh? That what? Oh, she can't believe I thought of Stephen Urkel. I have a good memory. As soon as I said that, did I do that? It's, it came to me. What happened to him? Don't, don't tell me. We're on, we're on tape right now. There is a greater than Stephen Urkel here. Amen. All right, we're going through Ecclesiastes 10 tonight. We're going to look into the Word of God. Now, last time we closed chapter 9 with Solomon concluding that wisdom is more powerful than weapons of war. How many of you say that's true? Oh, yeah. Because if there was more wisdom in the world, we wouldn't have so much war. Right? Now, in chapter 10, he's going to point out some of the ironies of life. And I'm getting a little bit of feedback uh, uh, up here, guys. Thank you. Some of the ironies of life. How many of you have ever experienced a real irony in your life? Like, I can't believe things have turned out this way. Okay? Now, chapter 10 also feels a whole lot like we're walking through the book of Proverbs. I don't know how much you've read the Proverbs. It's one of my favorite books. I love the Proverbs. And right about now in Ecclesiastes, it feels like Proverbs. There's these, uh, you have these, the, the wise person compared to the fool, which happens all the time in Proverbs. Uh, the folly of laziness and other negative character, uh, character traits are pointed out, which he does all the time in the Proverbs. Uh, so it reminded me of that. Now, starting in verse 1, Solomon points out how easily a good reputation can be damaged. Now, you remember the verse we went over a while back, that a good name is better to be chosen than choice silver. Remember that? A good name, keeping your good reputation. Because the minute you tell somebody you're a Christian, immediately there are certain things that they expect to see and expect to not see. And you have a reputation. I have a reputation. You have a reputation. Now, he's going to show us how easily it can be damaged. And he uses a very, very uh, graphic example. Uh, Verse 1, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to somebody who's respected for wisdom and for honor. Now, the Hebrew expression for the... the uh, flies is literally flies of death. That's the Hebrew expression. Flies of death, which may mean either dead flies or deadly poisonous flies. Now the flies that he's talking about are probably the latter, the ones who actually carry some poison in their bite or that carry infection with them. Such insects corrupt everything and anything that they touch. Okay, so here's the deal. The Christian is expected to live an upright, moral, ethical life, which befits the person who claims to follow Christ. Open sin in the life of the believer is like a fly of death. That's the picture that poisons their testimony and soils their wisdom. It's hard to listen to wisdom from somebody who you know isn't walking right. You know, who are you to counsel me? You know, it's like Jesus said, remove the two by four from your own eye before you go trying to operate on the eye of someone else to remove the speck in their eye. So you got to be clean to really have your wisdom appreciated. All right. That's the idea. So guard your reputation. Can you say that with me? Guard your reputation. 
It's the only one you've got. Now, the next two verses deal with one of Solomon's favorite subjects, the wise man, compared to the fool. Like I said, in Proverbs, he does this all the time. He compares the wise man to the fool. And he talks about the fool a lot. He's going to do it more later in this chapter. Now, verses 2 to 3 read like this. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. (laughs) Oh, where I could go with that one. (laughs) Isn't it true? Oh, man. And that's a proverb. I didn't make that up. So (laughs) if you're a conservative to the right, you have wisdom. If you're a leftist, oh, well. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everybody how stupid they are. Now, I'm just reading the Bible. And I think that's the NIV or the NLT. Uh, but it's, it's a translation. That's what it means, stupid. Now, in the Bible, the right hand is pictured as the hand of action. And that's why you, you, hear, the, you hear the right hand of God talked about in the Bible. Because the right hand is, is the hand of action, the hand of warfare, the hand of strength, as is the right eye. The left hand is seen as inferior and weaker. So all you Southpaws in here, don't feel bad. We're not saying that because you're a southpaw, left-handed person, that it's weaker and you're inferior. I'm just saying that as a rule, the world's made up primarily of right-handed people. And so this is the, the play on words that he's, that he's making. Now, Solomon's point is simply this, that wisdom leads to strength and victory like the right hand. And foolishness leads to weakness and defeat as with the left hand. It's a guarantee. If you have wisdom, you are going to have some victories. If you don't have any wisdom, you're going to go from defeat to defeat until you wise up. Very important to have wisdom. Remember, it's it's more powerful than weapons of war. Wisdom. So over and over again in Proverbs, you're going to see Solomon constantly encouraging and exhorting and reminding us to search for wisdom, mine for wisdom, pray for wisdom. James, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, not braideth not. And it shall be given him, only let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For he that doubts is like the wave of the sea, tossed to and fro. So even James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you without upbraiding you for asking. The fool has a habit of telling everybody else how stupid they are. Have you ever noticed that? Turn on the news. (laughs) Listen to some of the talk shows. While he himself is actually the the stupid one. That's what this verse is saying. I'm going back to it. He, He says here, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everybody else how stupid they are. They're always telling you how stupid you are. And that's what fools do. Uh, they're like the insane person who thinks that everybody else is insane except them. I'm the only sane one. These voices I'm hearing are really there. You're crazy because you don't hear them. Now, that's what, it, what the fool is like. The fool thinks everybody else is stupid when, in fact, he's stupid. And, and this is what happens when you depart from God. Now, I don't call anybody stupid, but I will call somebody unwise. All right? And the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, which I think is one of the most, and this is, I'm... I'm Branching off a little bit here, but let me digress a minute. I think Romans 1 is one of the most profound 
things ever written. It reads the history of man. And one of the things Romans 1 says, when you decide to put God out of your thoughts, thinking that you are wise, you become what? Fools. So to reject God and his wisdom is to actually become a fool. And then you do moronic, foolish, stupid things. Because stupid is as stupid does. Okay? So the, the fool is, is very taken with himself. He's the smartest one in the room, when in fact he's not. Now the Proverbs, I like this proverb, uh, 26 verse 12 says, There's more hope for fools than for people who think they're wise. Isn't one of the most difficult people to be around the know-it-all? I mean, how long can you tolerate a know-it-all? Not long. Ten minutes? Fifteen? And God bless you if you live with one. Don't look right up at me. Don't look next to you. But if you live with a know-it-all, God be with you and God give you amazing grace. Because that would be very difficult. Kathy knows that I'm right about everything, and that's our understanding. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now, verse 4 says, he's, he's really switching gears now. Verse 4, if a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Now, what's he talking about? If a person over you, and all of us have somebody over us, a boss, a government official, or some other authority figure, if that person to whom you answer becomes offended at something that they either think you did or that you actually did. Here's the counsel and advice of Solomon. He says, don't react in anger. Don't react in haste by leaving your position. Don't be a quick quitter. Wait a while. Give it time. I never thought that I would say this, but here we go. As you get older, you begin to see some things. And one thing you do begin to see is this. When you wait on something, when you don't react, but you respond, there's a difference between reacting and responding. You can react in anger or react in the flesh or respond in wisdom. Often wisdom will say, just hang, hang tough. Give it time. Wait a while. Let the water settle. Solomon says, Set yourself to continue in your duty with a good attitude and a servant's heart. And he says, if you do that and give it time, a submissive, meek approach brings healing and it appeases the wrath of the person over you. Now that's just practical, everyday advice. So somebody over you gets offended at you, don't strike back. Don't get angry. Don't don't pick up your marbles and run home and quit. Give it time. Give it time. Give things time. Give God time to work. You never know. Things can change. Now here again, after dealing with the inequities of life several times so far in this book, Solomon revisits some other uh, inequities again. He always refers to inequities as evil under the sun. He, He sees all kinds of inequities, and we all do. We see them every day. We see inequities all the time. All right. So he calls them evil under the sun. Now he's going to talk about another one here in five through seven of chapter 10. He says, there's an evil I have seen under the sun. 
the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions. (laughs) Can I have an amen? (laughs) While the rich, or really not just rich, but the capable, occupy the low ones. How is it the fools rise to the top and the capable go unnoticed? It's an, an inequity. He says, I've seen slaves on horseback, verse 7. I have seen slaves on horseback in a promoted position while princes or the capable go on foot like slaves. He says, what's the matter? This is topsy-turvy. This is upside down. The capable ought to be in charge, not these fools. But he says, this is an inequity and it's an evil under the sun. And I can, I can go with him on that one. here's the deal. Here's what he's addressing. A tyrannical ruler of people will often place foolish and unworthy people into positions of authority and honor. You can't believe that so-and-so has been appointed to this or that position. You can't believe it. Okay? When they do this, their appointees often bring embarrassment to them and almost always vex the population at large. I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting more amens than on a Sunday morning here tonight. (laughs) But you see what I'm saying here. Uh, Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon is seeing something that we see today, that through favoritism or for whatever reason, the incapable, uh, the, 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 the fool, the uh, amateurs are placed into positions of high authority and esteem. And the ones that really could do the job well are passed over. That's what he's talking about. Solomon says, I've seen unworthy peasants who were utterly incompetent and ill-prepared for the positions in which they were placed. And I've seen the capable and competent slighted due to the whims of the tyrant. He says, man, he said, this is hard to take. And I'm going to tell you, it's hard for me to take sometimes. I mean, it's clear you can see people put in positions of authority who don't have a clue what they're doing. And you have to suffer for it. That's hard. And what about at where you work? You should have been appointed. And you weren't. And when you learned who got appointed instead of you, it was all you could do to not pop your brain. How did they get appointed over me? And then it made it even worse when you realize it was the buddy system. It was cronyism. It was favoritism. And you should have been the one appointed and you weren't. And that's hard to take. It's like chewing sand. So what do you do with it? Well, servants on horseback while the competent walk on foot. Inequities. These are some of the ironies of life. And let me give you a a word of hope and encouragement. If God wants you promoted, my friend, you are going to be promoted. Now listen carefully to me. Because there's a God who's bigger than the one who is doing the buddy system. There's a God bigger than the buddy system. And if you get passed over, there is a God who sees it. And if you stay humble and seek his face and, and walk with him and honor him, 
God can move a mountain. He can, listen, he can bring up a valley. He can bring a mountain down. He can make a straight path for you. And if he wants you promoted, nothing will stop your promotion. Look what the Bible says. Scripture teaches that the Lord can overrule all. As was in the case of Joseph. Remember Joseph who was brought from prison to pinnacle in a day. By the providence of almighty God. One day he's sitting in prison where he's been for years. The next minute he's got a ring. He's got a robe. He's got authority. He's second only to Pharaoh. And the whole nation of Egypt must bow down when he rides by. That happened in one day. <laughs> Woo! The Bible says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. Amen. The Bible says the humble shall be exalted and the proud will be made low. Now that's the promise. So even if you have been passed over by the buddy system, you have not been passed over by God. All right. Now the next two verses give four warnings pertaining to vengeance. And I love these next passages. They're some of my favorite. They're hard to understand, but you're going to get it. The next two verses, watch carefully, give us four warnings that pertain to vengeance and dishonoring God-given boundaries. Look at verse 8 and 9. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever removes stones may be injured by them. And whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. Wouldn't you like to understand that? Because in that kind of a duh, if I'm removing stones, I might get hurt. If I'm splitting logs, I might be endangered by one of them. But it means more than that. Let me show you. The digging of the pit here, we, we, we all get that one. Digging of the pit here is speaking to the folly of taking vengeance. You got somebody you don't like. You dig a pit for their downfall. You are trying to set them up for pain, for vengeance, for retaliation, for hurt. So you dig a pit for them. Is the age-old picture of setting a trap for another, and then you fall into it yourself. Remember Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit? But later, uh, he was brought out, taken to Egypt, and later they were brought into subjection to him. The very one they threw into the pit, and they would have left him had it not been for one of the brothers. They would have left him to die, yet later all of them had to bow down to Joseph. He was promoted. They were put down. I'm telling you, promotion is in the hands of God. And what about the wicked Haman who built the gallows for Esther's uncle Mordecai, but was hung himself on the same gallows? The message is, leave vengeance to God. And I brought this up before, but you remember Roadrunner? I, I can't ever pass by this verse without bringing up old Roadrunner. You remember Roadrunner and, and Wiley Coyote? You remember? And, and Wiley Coyote was always trying to get Roadrunner, always trying to trap him, always trying to kill him. I guess to eat him. And you remember that time that Wiley Coyote is on top of the cliff with a big boulder. And you see the cloud of smoke coming as, as Roadrunner is running. He's running through the valley in which he's going to be crushed by the boulder that Wiley Coyote is going to roll onto him. So he rolls it down. And Roadrunner sees it. He's too fast. He zips by. The boulder goes down, goes back up the other side. 
hangs for a second, comes back down, comes back up, goes up in the air, and comes right down and smashes Wiley Coyote. That is the idea. He who rolls a stone will have it return upon him. Cartoons ain't what they used to be. Every once in a while, I really can pause and watch a little bit of Bugs Bunny. Just for old time's sake. Now, next we have the metaphor of the person who breaks through a wall. And he's bitten by a snake. Now, what is this about? The wall represents God-given boundaries. Okay? When we in our foolishness decide to ignore God's word, and we break through his wall of protection, because that's what boundaries are. Ten commandments are all boundaries of protection. Not to ruin your party, but to save your life. They are boundaries. They are walls of protection. Now, you break through the wall of protection and you are bitten by the serpent of sin. It'll strike you. Because to go past his boundary is a sin. It's always painful, always poisonous to our souls, and it's always ill-advised. Now, what concerns me about our country is that our country is breaking down every boundary it can find. Breaking down every God-given boundary, every God-given wall, breaking it down. And over and over again now, we're beginning to be bitten by poisonous serpents. That's what happens. You can't break God's word without being bitten. On the other side of that wall is the devil who is called the serpent. He appeared to Eve as a serpent. And he bites. His bite is sin and it poisons Then he goes on, whoever removes stones may be injured by them. Now that's again a warning about breaking boundaries. In Bible times, stones were often used to distinguish uh, property boundaries. It's like a fence, but they would stack up stones, say "Here's, here's the dividing line between your property and mine. So here's the idea. The preacher is warning about not encroaching upon what belongs to somebody else. And then he's going to get particular. Somebody's spouse, somebody's property, somebody's belongings, somebody's reputation. Did you know the last four of the Ten Commandments address this very thing? As a matter of fact, of the Ten Commandments, the first five are God word, have to do with your relationship this way. The second five are man word. They have to do with our relationship with one another. So God deals with our vertical relationship with him first. And then, having handled that, then he says, now, here's how you do one another and how you don't do one another. The last four commandments have to do with not encroaching on somebody else's stuff. Watch this. The seventh commandment, don't have sexual relations with anybody other than your spouse. God forbids sex outside of the bounds of marriage. Now, that's talking about a person's spouse. Then, commandment eight, don't steal or take anything that doesn't belong to you unless you've been given permission to do so, a person's property. So, here we go with the commandments. Don't cross the boundary with a person's spouse. Don't cross the boundary with a person's property. Verse nine, 
Don't tell a lie about somebody or bring a false accusation against another person. That's a person's reputation. Don't cross the boundary with their spouse. Don't cross the boundary with their belongings. Don't cross the boundary with their reputation. Don't hurt a person's reputation. Commandment 10, don't desire anything or anyone that does not belong to you. It's talking about covetousness. Comparing yourself to others and longing to have what they have leads to jealousy, envy, and other sins. We're to be thankful for what we have and stop there. And don't look at the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. If it is, somebody's got a high water bill that you're not having to pay. Be content by focusing on the blessings God has given you and not what he has given to, to uh, not what he has not given to you. Now that's dealing with a person's achievements. So their spouse, their belongings, their reputation, their achievements. Don't cross that boundary. Don't encroach on it. Leave the boundary line there and stay in your own realm and be thankful for what you have. Do you get it? Then the last one, he says, then whoever splits logs may be in danger by them. It's again a warning about boundaries. In the Bible, we, it is often discussed, or, or at least in, in the Old Testament, it is discussed several times, the special sacredness of trees as standing above most other forms of property um, that a person can own. Let me just read it to you. Deuteronomy um, 20, 19 through 20, says this. When you besiege a city for a long time, while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, that is, eat of the tree, if it's a fruit tree, don't cut it down to use it in the siege. For the tree of the field is man's food. Verse 20, only the trees which you know are not trees for food. You may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. So here's what Solomon is doing. He's warning us again that to destroy another man's valuable property out of spite or malice is to endanger yourself. Your actions will turn around and bite you. As we say, what goes around comes around. As you do to others, it will be done to you. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Every action, listen, every action is actually just like a boomerang. Whatever action you take, if it's a righteous action, it's like a boomerang you throw into the air. For a while, it looks like it's going away from you and going out of your sight. But suddenly, it turns and returns to you. The Bible says no action just goes off and dies. But for every cause, there is an effect. For every action, there is a reaction. For everything we do, good or bad, it eventually boomerangs and it comes back. The world calls it karma, but the Bible calls it reaping what you sowed. So over and over again, we're told in in these examples, don't mess with other people's boundaries. Don't mess with other people's stuff. 
honor somebody's property line, honor, honor other people's uh, belongings, and be thankful for what God has given you. And don't fall to envy and jealousy or retaliation. Now, I like verse 10. I use this for preachers all the time. Chapter 10, verse 10. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more, more strength. But wisdom brings success. Here's the bottom line. Without wisdom, you will do twice the work with half the results. Now, I don't like wasting my time. Amen? Now, Kathy and I lived in East Texas for seven years. When I first went to East Texas, every tree was sacred because I'd come from the city where trees were scarce. I was from a cement jungle. But once you're there for about a year, trees, huh? I got a chainsaw. I got three of them. I mean, all the time I'm cranking that thing up and bringing a tree down. And I had axes and hatchets and all this stuff. And I learned early on, you keep that axe sharp or you're like another cartoon figure. You've all seen it. They swing and they hit that tree and it vibrates so bad their whole body is shaking. You've seen that because they hit the tree with a dull axe. If you go into life without wisdom, that's what you're always going to be doing. All shook up. <laughs> because here's the deal. Wisdom is like a sharp axe blade that cuts through difficult obstacles and accomplishes the task. But if you don't have wisdom, you're going to try and try and try and eventually finally break through in twice the time with thrice the effort. Next, he compares a gossiper to a snake. Gee, I wonder why. Hello? You know, a gossiper to a snake? Y'all just tighten the edges of your seat for some reason. Look what he says in verse 11. A serpent may bite when it's not charmed. The babbler is no different. Now, let me tell you what that means. A snake can bite without warning. We have rattlesnakes around here, and, and, and I've seen a lot of them. Um, rattlesnake will tell you when he's upset. He rattles. But m- most snakes won't. They'll bite without warning. Here's what he's telling us. A babbler or a gossip is the same way. You'd be talking to somebody about whatever, and suddenly, suddenly, they strike with gossip. Out of nowhere. Boom! And it, and it strikes you, and it has fangs, and it has poison. They do it out of nowhere. They go from house to house, the Bible says, from ear to ear, spreading their poison without warning. So the bottom line is, he's telling us, watch out for the gossip. Be careful of the gossip, and don't you be a gossip. Don't be a snake. Be a blessing. Amen? Now, the next four verses, Solomon returns to one of his favorite topics, and here it is, the fool. Most of what he points out pertains to the fool's speech. He's always talking about the words of the mouth. It is Solomon who said in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. One of his constant mantras is to watch what you say and how you say it. Watch the words of your mouth. The words of your mouth are powerful. And he does the same thing here in Ecclesiastes. And and he's going to talk about the fool's words. Now, verse 12, he says, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. Have you ever noticed you can leave having spent some time with some people. When you get in your car and you drive away, you feel dirty. 
The reason you feel kind of dirty is because you know the conversation went where it shouldn't have gone. It went into the realm of gossip. Have you ever felt that way? You just feel like, wow, I can't believe we went there and we said those things. And we, we, we discussed those things and brought those things up and hashed them over and went on. Why did we go there? But the words of a wise man, you can leave the company of other people and feel edified, feel encouraged, feel strengthened, feel good, feel godly, because the conversation was honoring. Look what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt there means stinky, rotten word, like a rotten egg. Let no rotten word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary what, everybody? Can we say it all together? Edification. What does edification mean? It means you've been built up in the faith. You've been built up in the faith. It's like you've been with Jesus. Okay? That it may impart what to the hearers? Grace. And what is grace? It gives you the power to do the will of God. So you, to, to, to be with somebody who's been talking godly actually strengthens you to do the will of God. But if you've been around a gossip, if you've been around people that are letting rotten words out of their mouth, there's no way you don't walk away with egg not on your face. Egg is on your face. God didn't give us ear lids, but he gave us feet to walk away. <laughs> He gave his eyelids. I can close my eyes and not look at something, but I can't close my ears, but I can walk away or I can say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what? I don't have a peace talking about this. And we can stop it. What most people don't realize is it's not just the gossiper who is guilty before God. It's the listener who's guilty before God as well. Because, hey, a gossiper has nowhere to go if nobody will listen. Amen. Pastor Jeff preaching. This is great. I'm getting this CD. All right. The fool's words will only get him in trouble. He says, actually swallowing him up with problems and regrets. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent with their mouths shut. They seem intelligent. You want to seem intelligent? Just be quiet. You're in a room full of people gossiping. Just sit there. They'll walk away going, well, there was one smart person there. The one that didn't say anything. Verse 13. Here's more on the fool's words. But the words of his mouth begin with foolishness and they end up in raving madness. So his, his words accelerate. The fool begins talking about silly harmless things. But by the time he's finished, he has committed himself to statements that are worse than silly, statements that are presumptuous, frenzied, indicative of mental and moral depravity. If you want to know what's in somebody's heart, just be quiet and let them talk. And in 10 minutes, you'll know where they are with God. You'll know where they are in their marriage more than likely. If they're married, you'll, you'll know a lot about them if you just be quiet and listen to them for 10 minutes. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's a fool, he'll start out talking about meaningless, silly things, but he'll continue until some really crazy stuff is coming out. 
That's the words of the fool. Now, then he says in verse 14, more on the fool's words. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be who can tell him what will be after him. Let me tell you what that means. The fool not only says foolish things, but he talks too much. They talk just to hear themselves talk. If you ever want to see perpetual motion, just get around a fool and watch their tongue. They talk. You can walk away from listening to a fool after 30 minutes and go, what did they say? What did they say? He multiplies words. He speaks about things of which he knows nothing. And then Solomon gives us an example. He offers silly conjecture about the future, making rash predictions based on little knowledge. Solomon says of such a person, who can tell what the future of this fool holds? Not good, to be sure. You can walk away from some people and say, if you ask me about their future, unless they change, I can't give them much hope because they're fools. They go on and on and on about nothing. Like TV. Like a lot of talk shows. Then the fools also lacking in common sense. Verse 15, the labor of fools wearies them for they don't know even how to go to the city. What is that saying? The reason that the labor of fools is wearisome to them is because they don't have any common sense. I love common sense. I wish there was more common sense running our country. They work to no avail. Their labor produces nothing and therefore it's wearisome. Solomon says they can't even find their way to the major roads leading to the city. If they can't find even the major roads leading to the city, then how will they ever make it through the difficult pathways of normal life? That's what he's saying. That's the fool. They can't find the major highways that will take them to the city. Now, next, the preacher addresses the tragedy of bad leadership over a country. Verses 16 and 17. Woe to you, O land. Now, when the Bible says woe, you're in trouble. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet, who put light for dark and dark for light, said Isaiah in chapter 5. Woe to those people. Now here's a woe. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. First, woe to you, O land, if your leadership is a child, which I think can mean immature or inexperienced, not just chronologically young. Because you can be 60 and childish. Or you can be 15 and adult-like. But when you have an immature uh, leader, they often are the tool of wicked advisors. And what he's saying is a nation needs maturity, good judgment, truthfulness in its leadership. Princes that feast in the morning refers to leaders that begin their day not with hard work and sound planning, but with sensual indulgence. They get up and they feast. They get up and they drink. They are not thinking about handling the problems of the land. They're immature. He says, woe to those people. Verse 17, blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Now, this is easy to understand. Mature leadership puts first things first. And they will not live lifestyles that endanger their trust. 
I'm going to say that again. They won't live lifestyles that endanger what they have been placed over. They care more about their trust than themselves. He says in verse 18, because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Now, I read once that one of the first signs a church is in decline is whether or not the building is taken care of. Isn't that weird? I never thought about that. But they did a study, and they said, we have found, looking across the nation, that if a church is in decline, the first thing you notice is the building starts going to pop because nobody cares about it. A house left to itself is an indicator of ownership that no longer cares. You ever been in a neighborhood where the person next to you never took care of their lawn? Didn't take care of their house? It always looked trashy? And how that brought the value of yours down is because they didn't care. Now, I think here he's pointing to the people he just talked about. In verse 19, he says, A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Now, this verse likely points to the verse above and offers an explanation as to why rulers would be so lazy as to let their realm decay. Why? Because they're living lives of feasting. They're living lives of drinking. They're living the high life off of your money. Rather than caring about what they've been put over. They don't care where the money comes from for all of this extravagance and luxury that they enjoy whether extortion, excessive taxation, whatever, those at the top don't care. They just live off the money. All they care about is the money that provides for everything that their sensual lifestyle requires. Amen. Now, chapter 10 closes with a warning without, about speaking against authority. How many of you know that you can't escape authority in this world? You can't escape authority. How many of you are under someone's authority? Boy, the rest of you, I want to meet you and ask you how you did it. Because we're all under authority. Now watch this. He's given us a little bit of advice here. He says, look, don't curse the king, even in your thought. Don't curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Now, that's a great passage. What's he talking about? He's saying, all of us have somebody in authority over us. And anybody in authority over us has the power to harm us or to extract something from us. Anybody in authority over us. So he's saying, be very careful what you say about authority figures. And authority figures are across, listen, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Parents, bosses, politicians, you name it. Church leaders, you name it, they're authority figures. Now, he says, be careful what you say because things have a funny way of getting out. We've all heard the saying, the hills have eyes and the walls have ears, right? Or how about this one? A little birdie told me. Where do you think that came from? It came from this passage. Now, he's saying things have a way of getting out. What you say has a way of getting out. It's, it's funny. Have you ever tried to hold a beach ball down in the water? Have you ever tried to just push it down and hold it down and you can't do it? Boop, comes right back up. Boop, comes right back up. That's what happens to words. You, you, you say words, but they have a way of just coming up and getting out there. 
in uncanny ways. <laughs> it's almost like there was a bird in the room when we said it, and they fly out the window, and they go and tell what you said. It's like there's a bird in the room. It says, use wisdom in what you say about others, particularly powerful people who may have the ability to turn and injure you, fire you, reprimand you, confront you, address you. Be careful because God protects authority. Most everybody in here is under authority, but most everybody in here is also in authority over someone else. Virtually nobody can keep a secret. Hello. I mean, rare is the person who can actually keep a secret. Sometimes your closest confidants that you whisper to and think, well, all right, this is safe, will tell what you said to gain an advantage with the person against whom you spoke. Because relationships change, friendships change, loyalties change, and people are as fickle as the day is long. One day they're for you, the next day they're again you. One day they're patting you on the back, the next day they stab you in the back. One day you're the greatest thing since peanut butter, the next day they can't stand the mention of your name. I'm not saying this is always the case, but he's saying be wise in what you say about authority figures. We're done. Everybody says, praise God, we're done. Stand up together, can we? <clears throat> now, next time, we got two chapters to go. Next time, it pays to be diligent. And it's a great chapter. Let's, let's go to the Lord and worship, can we? Lord, we just thank you. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for these simple words of wisdom from wise King Solomon. Thank you, Lord, that they are eternal truths in the Word of God. Thank you that you gave them to us, that we would have wisdom in the way. Lord, help us to not only hear it, but to do it. Help us to walk in these things. In the name of Jesus.